We want to continue on our journey through discipleship, further up and further in, further up into Christ, further in uh, into all that he is. And so we, we really want to know, what does it take to follow Jesus? What does it look like in 2020? Because we can look at the Gospels and we can see that, uh, you know, when Jesus was walking the earth, there were a group of people that followed him around, didn't just follow him, but actually learned from him and did what he did. You know, Jesus didn't just have disciples clapping for him or, or getting him snacks when he needed it. We know from the scripture that he sent the disciples out to reproduce what he had been doing, to replicate, to, to carry on his ministry. He sent them out to heal the sick. He sent them out to cleanse the lepers. He sent them out to cast out evil spirits. He sent them out to preach the kingdom. He sent them out to do exactly what he had done. And, and so that was not just a three-year thing. That continued. The church was built on discipleship. The church was built on people being full of the spirit of Jesus so they can carry out the ministry of Jesus. And today in 2020, it's the same message. He wants us to fulfill his ministry, to carry out his ministry, to make more disciples, to replicate what he's done. He does not want you just to be a fan. He wants you to be a disciple. Today, I want to bring up some Awkward conversations with Jesus. You know, Jesus was never afraid of an uncomfortable moment. He was never afraid of an awkward conversation. He wasn't even afraid of bad press. I, I have to believe that if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to have the same attitude. We don't need to be jerks. We don't need to be rude. We don't need to be disrespectful. But we need to be okay with being a little weird. We, we need to be okay with the uncomfortable moments that we have with Jesus. You see, when I read the Gospels, I'd like to tell you that after all these years of following Jesus, I can read the Bible and feel really good every time. I, I can read the Bible and feel like it reinforces who I am. But there are plenty of times that I read Jesus' words, and while it is all love, and I know that He loves me, and I know that He cares for me, and I don't feel condemned, at the same time, I've been corrected a lot. And there are times where I feel pricked, and I, there are times where I'm made very uncomfortable because I understand that Jesus it loves me enough to not leave me the way I am, that He wants me to be more like Him. And the Bible says that if, if we're truly His children, if we're the children of God, if, if we are legitimate children of the Father, that he will correct us, he will discipline us, he will chasten us. And so I'm not afraid, I'm trying my best to be less afraid every day of those awkward and uncomfortable times so that I can grow, so that I can let my heart enlarge to, to love God more, to, to know his love in a greater way and to be used by God in a great way. Something I've discovered amongst believers is that there are always some of us that at different stages in our lives we're just trying to look for, we're looking for how Jesus will fit into our life as we know it. But there's some point in every one of our lives, if you're really searching for Jesus, if you've really decided to follow him, there's a point where you realize he's not supposed to be a part of my life. He's supposed to be everything. This has got to be the center of everything. It's not merely a hobby. It's not merely a side thing. It's not merely a supplement to my life. It's not something that's helping me get through. This is everything. And I've said it many times, but if this is anything to us, it's got to be everything to us. Because Jesus was not just a man. We know that. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a philosopher. Jesus is and was 
the Son of God. You know, that, that's the great revelation that, that Jesus, when he was speaking with his disciples and he said, who do people say that I am? And, and, and they talked about the different theories. Everybody had a theory on who Jesus was. But then he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, well, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You know, this is a phrase that to us sounds so normal. It sounds so routine because we, we've grown up. Or even those that are new believers, you've, you've heard that Jesus was the Son of God. But to those disciples, that is a radical statement. That is a fringe statement. To not only say that he's the Messiah already, that's revolutionary. But to say that he's the living son of God, the son of the living God, that's a powerful thing. And that's, that's earth shaking. And when Peter said it, Jesus said, you're blessed that you said that. And, and you didn't come up with that. God revealed it to you. And so when, when you understand that the disciples at some point had to stop seeing Jesus just as another rabbi or just as another teacher because he was going to push them to the point where they wouldn't follow just any other rabbi who said the things he said and expected the things he expected and did the things he did. The only way you're going to follow this guy is if he really is the son of God because there were things he said that, that if some dude just said these things to me and I don't care how smart he is, how wise he is, I'd say, no, you're, you're, you're going too far. But if he is the son of God, then that means he is God. And God is not just an observer. God is more than just the creator, although that's an amazing aspect of who he is. But God is at the center of everything. He holds all things together. And he's not just something, not just a puzzle piece that fits into my life. He's the one who not only created me, but breathed his life into me. He is the one that holds my molecules together. He is the center of it all. All existence centers around Him. All goodness emanates from Him. So if you want to understand what it means to be a human, you've got to understand God. And that's why it's so frustrating to try to figure out the human condition if you leave out God. It won't make sense. In the same light, if you treat God like a, 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 just a belief system, if you treat God just like a hobby, if you treat the, the, the worship of God as just another aspect of who you are, it's also not going to make any sense. If this is anything, this is everything. We talked about it last week, just briefly, how when the disciples first followed Jesus, some of the first disciples that were called were fishermen. And one of the great stories is, is when Jesus went out uh, on the boat with Peter and, and, and they had been fishing all night. They'd caught nothing. They were cleaning their nets. And Peter let Jesus use his boat because the crowds had pressed in on, on the shore and Jesus was being pressed against. So he, he said, let me, let me on your boat. Just put us out of ways and I'll preach from the boat. And after he was done preaching, Jesus said, let's go for a catch. And Peter said, we've been, we've been fishing all night. We caught nothing. We, we, we are fishermen by trade, generationally fishermen. We know that in the middle of the day, and, and Jesus told them to go to the deep, in the middle of the day, in the middle of the sea, this is not the place to catch fish. It's not the best place. In, in that area, in, their, in that body of water, the best place to get fish is, is near the channels where the oxygen, oxygenated water is. That's where the fish mostly are. Where he told them to go, there's not the most fish. And you're you're going to have a harder time there. Not only that, it's the middle of the day. Fish aren't biting. But they said, whatever you say, Lord, we'll do what you say. 
The Bible tells us that they caught the biggest catch it ever caught in their life, so much so that it broke the nets. They had, to, they had to call for help. It was an incredible catch of fish. And then right after that, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers or literally catchers of people. And so the Bible says that the next thing they did was they left their boats, and they left their nets, and they followed Jesus. And I said this last week to the, to the church in Lloyd, but I, I want to say it again. Can you imagine leaving your career after the best day you've ever had in your career? I mean, can you imagine leaving a lifelong generational pass from grandfather to father to son, a, a business that you've inherited and you finally got your big catch. Now you've got the catch that could fund investment. You could buy more boats, you could buy, you could hire people, but, but at that point, that's when you leave it all and you follow Jesus. And whether we know it or not, that theme of leaving everything is all throughout the Gospels. Leaving everything and following Jesus. And this is where it's gonna get a little weird because Jesus said some things to the people that were following him that that if you're trying to get a following, you wouldn't have said. I mean, he said things that made people question whether or not this was worth it because he knew that in order to follow him, it's really going to require that you put him above everything else. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, being a disciple and where in our hearts and where in our lives does Jesus fit. So let's read something here together. in Luke chapter 14, Luke 14 Jesus all of a sudden have, has great crowds following him. This is the apex of his ministry. He's got great crowds ready to follow, massive crowds. He's finally hit celebrity status. This is the moment that he can really build his movement. But in Luke chapter 14 and verse 25, it says, Now great crowds, in other words, massive, immense crowds, accompanied him. And he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If you've read this verse and felt like that's totally normal, that's, that's a verse I can accept easily. If you haven't been bothered by this verse, I don't know if you've really read it. I don't know if you really believe it. I mean, this is a drastic thing to say. And why would Jesus say it? I mean, we just talked about it last week. If anything was the mark of discipleship, Jesus said, this is how they're going to know that your mind is, for, is your love for one another. But Jesus didn't just say love each other. He said, love your neighbor. He said, love your enemies. He said, uh, uh, honor your father and your mother. In fact, he called the Pharisees out on it. He said, you guys aren't even keeping the fifth commandment. Honor your father. You guys aren't, aren't keeping that commandment. So if that's so important to Jesus... If Jesus taught us how to love, if, if he taught us how to honor our families and, and he taught us how to be good parents, you know, the Bible in the New Testament is full of examples of how to be godly fathers and mothers, then how can Jesus say, you got to hate your family? If you've ever noticed, uh, ever been online, if you've ever Googled some of your favorite preachers, some of the best, best teachers of the word out there, there's going to be websites that are devoted to tearing them down. I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about church people who take a clip of what they say, a little segment, and they make an attack video. They go, this is why this person's a false teacher. This is why you shouldn't listen to this person. 
It's a weird thing to do, but some people devote their lives to tearing other ministries down. Can you imagine if you applied the same standard to Jesus? How many times does Jesus say something that if you were to take it by itself, just seems like, I mean, there's no way I can follow this guy. He just said, I mean, he just finally got a big crowd and he turns around and says, you got to hate your whole family. If you don't, you can't be my disciple. Well, what does he mean? Because obviously we know that it must not mean that I, I can't, I, you know, I'm supposed to just despise them. I'm supposed to be angry and hate them. We, we know that that's not the heart of God. So what does hate mean? Well, see, in the scripture, hate doesn't necessarily always mean that you have an active dislike for someone. It just means a lack of love. And in this case, we learn later that because we love Jesus, we love everyone else with a greater love than we ever could have loved them. Jesus has taught us how to love. He said the greatest commandment is to love God and then love your neighbor. And, and he says, who's your neighbor? It's anybody who needs it. So obviously we're told to love. How do these things work together? Well, his point is, you're, there's going to be a point where you're going to have to figure out whether you love me more than them. And it might seem like you hate them because of your love for me. You might have to make a choice of who I'm going to follow. And it's a difficult choice. He goes on to say this, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build the tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. What king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and he asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. These are really hard things to read. I mean, if you don't read this and feel a little weird, then maybe you just don't, maybe that's how you read the Bible. You just go, I'll take the good stuff, I'll spit out the rest. But if you really want these words to matter, then it's okay to feel a little uncomfortable. I think it's important. I think Jesus was okay with making them feel a bit uncomfortable so that they'd be able to evaluate, do we really love Jesus? See, Jesus is not telling them that they should never have any love for their family or they should never have any love for themselves. They should never have any love for anybody but him. But he's saying, your love for me has got to be greater. And the reason he had to tell them this at the beginning, remember, he says, you've got to count the cost at the beginning. You know, a lot of us, we get halfway into something, then we figure out, maybe I shouldn't have got into this. He says, at the very beginning, these are the questions you need to ask yourself. Jesus, as much as it doesn't seem like it, Jesus really isn't trying to scare people away. He's trying to tell them, this is going to be a point of conflict in your life. If you choose to follow me, there's going to be a point where your family is going to say you're crazy. There's going to be a point where you may have to choose between me and your father and your mother. And, and I want to know, do you know that it's worth it? He's asking them to count the costs before they go. And you know, I really do believe that for a lot of us, we've preached count, counting the cost, you know, count the cost of following Jesus. But a lot of us, we struggle with that because we've never seen the value. 
You know, uh, I've said this before, I've used this illustration before, but if you were driving around town in, in, in your dream vehicle, if you, if you finally were able to buy your dream vehicle and you, you had it and you wanted to show it to your friends and, and you said, listen, I want you to see my vehicle. And what if they did and they came out and they saw your vehicle, would you say, oh man, this vehicle took away this amount of money. Oh man, I had to give up this amount of money for this vehicle. No, if you really thought it was worth it, you wouldn't be moaning about what you lost. You would be rejoicing in what you gained. A lot of people aren't willing to give up anything for the kingdom or, or not that much for the kingdom of God because they don't see the value in the kingdom of God. Jesus told a parable about a man who went to a field and he said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a man who goes to a field and finds a buried treasure. And then when he finds it, he realizes it's worth more than anything he has. So he sells everything he has to buy the field and get the treasure. He says, that's what it's like with the kingdom of God. You realize the great value in the kingdom. So everything else, you can get rid of everything else if you can just have the greater treasure. Jesus says, that's what it's like to follow me. Here in North America, or wherever you're from, it's so easy to get lured away, to have other things attract you, that you forget that Jesus is the, is the only thing that matters, that God is the center of everything. And my love for Him gives me a love for everyone else. My love for Him helps me love my wife. But I, my wife and I have a deal. We're always going to love Jesus more than we love each other. Now, to the outsider, that seems crazy, stupid, radical. But to us, it means that we're going to be able to love each other more than we ever could have loved each other any other way. Because I love Jesus more, I treat my wife with respect and honor. I lay my life down for her. My love for Jesus gives me a much greater love for her, but I love him more. And Jesus says, if you're not willing to make that decision, it's going to be hard for you to follow me. You're not going to be able to do it. Why? Because maybe not now, maybe not tomorrow, but someday you're going to be forced to make a really uncomfortable choice. Jesus told them again, in Matthew chapter 10, he said, do not think that I've come to bring peace on the earth. Now, hang on a minute. Once again, this seems so contradictory because the angel, when Jesus was born, said peace on earth. Jesus said, I, you know, my peace I give to you. You know, the, the apostles said uh, that we came and, you know, he came and preached peace. You know, we came, this is the gospel of peace. You know, this is foundational. Of course, this is peace. Of course, you came to bring peace. But he says, I didn't come to bring the kind of peace you're talking about. I didn't come to bring everybody uh, to a place of agreement that everybody will agree and get along. He says this, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword for I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me. And there's the key. Whoever loves them more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, Jesus just said earlier, if you love your life, 
you'll lose it. Here he says, whoever finds his life, whoever's looking to find, to make your life work and just say, you know, if I could just find a way to get my life perfect, he says, you'll lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life, you'll find it. It's okay to hear this and go, I don't like that. It's okay to hear this and be uncomfortable. It's okay to hear this and say, that bugs me a little. Because you know what that means? That means that there's still areas that Jesus is working on in our hearts. He's exposing these statements are meant to poke us. And they're not meant to poke us because he doesn't love us or he doesn't like us. They're meant to poke us so that we can, the the areas of our hearts that we haven't addressed, those things in our hearts that we've never dealt with could be exposed. When Jesus was a little baby, Simeon the prophet held him up in the air and, 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 and prayed and prophesied over him. And one of the things that he said is he said, this child will be a source of, of uh, uh, will be an uprising for many, but downfall of many. He said he'll bring a sword. He, he will expose the, the, the motives of many hearts. Many hearts will be exposed by this child. I want to ask you a question. In heaven, in the kingdom that is to come, in the new heaven and the new earth that Jesus will create, there's going to be a day where he's going to set up his kingdom. Can I ask you, do you think there's going to be a bunch of fighting in families? Do you think there's going to be a bunch of strife and enemies? No, in fact, the scripture says that even the, the historic enemies will get along. The, the, the swords will be beaten into plowshares and the lion will lay down with the lamb. There won't be wars. Families will get along. There'll be peace. Why is there great peace? Why is it they're fighting? Because everything is in its, in, its, in its order. The scripture says the lamb, Jesus, will be at the center of everything and he will be our light. And this is the point is that things will work when the order is restored, when, when he's at the top. And this is why there's going to be struggle. This is why there's going to be strife on this side of that kingdom, on this side of glory. This is why there, you're going to have issues because That order hasn't been restored yet. There's still rebellion. The world is still broken. It's still messed up. And so, you know, when we look at the the Garden of Eden, you see Adam and Eve walking with God. That was broken. And so when Jesus came to restore what was lost, then all of a sudden our eyes are open and we see him for who he is and, and we love him and we know that this is, man, this is what we've been waiting for but you still live in a world and you still have friends and family that don't see that. And the things that have great value to us before we knew Jesus are very different. And so it's a jolt, it's a, it's, it's, it's a shock to our system. Jesus is resetting everything and, and that's why he seems like the weirdo. That's why he seems like the fringe. That's why he seems like the extremist. But really, it's us who've been, who've been knocked off the normal. It's us that have been knocked off in the right way. And so when Jesus came, he came to shock them back into reality. And he says, your own household are sometimes going to be your enemies. I can't imagine how hard that would have been to hear. But Jesus didn't say it to give them a hard time. He said that to wake up the parts in them, wake up their hearts to know and to love him in a way that they didn't know they could. Do you love me more than these? That's the question that Jesus asked Peter. After 
Jesus' death. After the resurrection, he sat down with Peter. Peter, who had denied Jesus three times. He loved his own life more than Jesus. At a time when he thought he'd passed the test, he failed the test. And yet, and here's something for all of us, because maybe you've said, I haven't always loved Jesus more. I've loved other things more. I haven't always followed Jesus. Maybe it would be good for you to hear this. You're in good company. Peter denied Jesus. Peter chose his own self. He chose his own life. He chose his own comfort above knowing Jesus. And yet Jesus restored him. And Jesus asked him this question, do you love me more than these? And the these that he's surrounded with are the boats and the fish because Peter's gone back to fishing. Jesus says, do you love me more than these? See, that's the question. You notice that Jesus in the Gospels never asks, how much do you love me? Because we would never be able to put that into a quantifiable thing. We'd never be able to say, I love you this much, you know? How do you tell Jesus how much you love him? But he did ask the question, do you love me more? And in this verse, he says, you got to love me more than your, your parents. you got to love me more than your family. And if you don't love me more than your, than your own life or your own family, he says, you're not worthy of me. You won't be able to follow me. There's, there's so many other times where uh, it gets uncomfortable. And, and I'll just tell you some more just so we can have fun with it. But in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is, is spoke about how he's going to be rejected how he's going to be mistreated. And he says this to the people. He says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There's that term, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes into glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Another man comes to Jesus and he says this. He says, Lord, I want to follow you, and I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says instantly, he doesn't say, great, another follower. He doesn't say, welcome to the club. He doesn't say, here's your package. You know, we got a gift basket for you. You know what Jesus says to him? He says, birds have their nests, foxes have their holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, he's saying, if you want to go with me, I want to tell you the truth. Some villages we go to, they're going to love us. They're going to let us stay with them. He goes, But we're going to be on the road and we're going to hit villages that hate us. We're going to hit people that don't receive us. And you know what? There's not going to be a place to stay. So if it's important for you that you have a holiday in wherever you go, if it's important for you that you get to go home every weekend, he goes, don't follow me. Another one, he says, follow me. And this guy says, well, first, let me go bury my dad. Let me go bury my father. And and we don't know if he meant like right now, like he's dead and we just have to do the funeral. Or if he's saying, you know, let my, my dad is old. Let me just stick with him until he dies. We'll, we'll handle the business and then I'll follow you. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. He says, nobody who starts going after me and, and puts his hand to the plow and then turns back halfway is worthy of the kingdom of God. And another guy says, you know, Lord, I'll follow you, but can I just, can I at least go home and say goodbye to everybody? Can I just go home and say goodbye? And Jesus goes, no. 
You can't go, go home and say goodbye. It, you're, if, you, if you start and you turn back, you're not worthy. This is, these are tough things. These are things that Jesus said to people that he loved. I want you to know this. Jesus was not dispassionate. He, it wasn't like he didn't care about them. But he had to wake them up to the reality that this was a radical decision to follow Jesus. As your pastor, if I am your pastor, it's my prayer and my duty to make sure you understand that no matter who you are, no matter where you are, God can take your life and restore what was lost and what was broken. He will make you a new creation. He's not going to turn anyone away who comes to him. But it's also my job. It's also my prayer. It's also my duty to prepare you for something that this life that you're called to cannot be lived halfway. It has to be radical. And you know, when I say radical, like that's a word that sets off warning bells in our culture because when we say radicalized, we, we picture someone who's so extreme that they hate everybody else, right? They're killing people. They, they're, they're, uh, they're mean. They're, 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 they're on the fringe. They're extremists. But the word radical comes from the Latin word which means root, to really be radical or something, to be radically a believer or to be radical in anything means it's at the root of who you are. And so when we're called to follow Jesus, we are called to be radical in our love for Jesus. In other words, our love for him is at the root. And when our love for him is at the root, that means that there's nothing that comes before that. Because if I put something else before my love for him, that love for him won't be there and all the other love I have will wither away, will dry up. For apart from him, I cannot do nothing. For I cannot do anything. You know, the scripture says we love because he first loved us. Every love that comes out of my life, every good thing that comes out of my life starts with him. So if I can't love him first, if I can't love him more, I really can't love anyone else the way I'm meant to love. I have to be radical in my love for Jesus. John wrote a letter that was all about loving people. It was all about the love of God working through us, but he starts in the first chapter. One of the things he says is, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. He says, anyone who wishes to be a friend of the world is gonna be an enemy of God. What does he mean? He means if you choose the world, the system, if you choose that stuff over God, you won't be able to love with the Father's love. You have to make a choice. This is what this is about this morning. If we say we want to be disciples, we have got to evaluate our priorities and we've got to say, do I love him more? A rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said he was so pious, he was so religious that he told Jesus he kept all the laws of Moses. He kept the entire Old Testament law. Jesus doesn't say he's lying. Jesus, he, maybe he was, but Jesus says, fine, but one thing you lack. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. Why would Jesus say that to this guy? I mean, we look and, and, and it's not like, the, you know, everybody has to do this. I mean, although Jesus said you have to renounce all you have. In the New Testament, there were people that had businesses and they had homes and you know, all of these things. But Jesus tells this guy, you have to sell everything. You have to follow me. And it says that the man went away sad. Jesus said there's one thing you're lacking. And it's the biggest thing. 
You don't own this stuff. This stuff owns you. Because if you're not willing to give it away, you love it more than you love me. Jesus exposed this man's heart, not because he didn't love him, because he did love him. The disciples said to Jesus, well, look, we, gave, we left everything. We left everything. And Jesus says, nobody who has left father and mother and houses and land and farms, he says, nobody who's left all that stuff is, is going gonna, is gonna to forever do without. He says, everyone who's left those things, he says, I'm going to give you a hundredfold, all these things, family, land, farms. He says, you'll get it all back in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. It's, it's not, I mean, it's not like you're, that, that's a permanent sacrifice. Even if it was, it would be worth it. But he says, I'm going to give it all back. But if you're not willing to lay it down, you can't follow me. Jesus had given the call of the apostle to this rich young ruler. He said, follow me, just like he said to those disciples, follow me. But this man was not willing to go that extra step. Because to this man, the stuff was more important than Jesus. There'll be a point where you have to make a decision. Is there anything more important than Jesus? And maybe today you feel like, I'm just not strong enough to, to live the way you're saying. This sounds too extreme. I would rather live the way I'm living and then just kind of have Jesus zhuzh up my life, you know? <laughs> I learned that phrase from my wife. I'd rather have Jesus, you know, kind of put the sparkles on my life. But I want to tell you that that's not, what, that's not how it works. He wants to bring you back to life. And in order to bring you back to life, there first has to be a death. We die to everything else and we live to Christ. And you know, he is a good God. And yes, he's a blesser. And yes, he's abundant. But I want to tell you that there may be a point where you have to give everything up. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews that the, the people of God, their houses and their land was seized. The property was seized. And you know what the Bible says? They joyfully accepted the seizure of their property. Can you imagine joyfully accepting some, the government taking away everything you had? I don't think we would do that, but they did that. Why? Because they knew they had a greater treasure. They chose Jesus over their stuff. They chose Jesus even over their families. You see, the original Hebrews, when they chose to follow Jesus, that book tells us that their families kicked them out. In the book of Revelation, we find that many of them were struck right off the, uh, the synagogue's list. And so it, it, in one of the cities where believers were struck off the synagogue's list, Jesus said, I'll write your name in my book and no one will strike you out. They had to choose Jesus or family, Jesus or culture, Jesus or faith. You know, in their culture, they were in occupied territory. The Romans were in charge. And for them, all they have is their family, their faith, their culture. And when they chose to follow Jesus, their culture kicked them out. Their families disowned them. And they lost their property in many cases. But they said, we have Jesus. And at the end of Hebrews, it says, Jesus set an example for us. Bearing our reproach, he went outside the camp. It was going back to the Old Testament story of, this, of the scapegoat that was sent outside the camp with, with the sins of the people. Jesus was crucified outside the city for us. He bore our sin, our reproach. And he says in Hebrews, so therefore, let us go outside our camp and meet him. And this is the point, guys. When you choose Jesus over everything else, 
God will make it up to you. But when you choose Jesus over everything else, you realize that you haven't lost everything. You've gained everything. A lot of places in the world know this better than we know it here. We've fallen in love with so many other things. Our lives are so crowded. But I encourage you to evaluate your heart. Let God speak to you. And ask this question, do I really want to follow Jesus all the way? He may not tell you to sell your car and give it away. He may, he may not tell you uh, to not show up for Thanksgiving with your family. I'm not saying that. But who do you choose? Because there will be a point where you're going to have to choose really uncomfortable choices. Jesus said there may be a point, there will be a point where your own household is your enemies. Jesus said to his disciples that your brothers are going to turn you in. People you thought were your friends are going to turn you into the courts. They had to deal with this. And this is not just a first century problem. This is a human issue. His kingdom will always clash with the world's kingdom. So there'll be a point where following Jesus is not convenient. I want to ask you, are you willing to love him? As the early Christians said, he's loved me. One, one old man who was an apostle, a great minister of the gospel, was being fed to the lions by the Romans, being killed for his faith. They gave him one more chance to renounce his faith in God, to renounce atheism as they called it because he wouldn't worship their gods. He said, I've loved Jesus all these years. For all these years, he's loved me and he died for me. He did all this. How could I deny him now? See, that's the love that he's put inside of you. You may not know it's there. But Jesus is saying, will you love me enough to love me more than this? Love me more than your job. Love me more than your stuff. Love me more than your family. I want to tell you, if you love him more than your family, you'll have a greater love for your family. But it may mean that sometimes it looks like you are hateful. You had to miss this family event or you had to miss this job thing that would have advanced your career. You don't do this and you don't celebrate that. And it looks to other people, they might say, do you hate us? Or do you, you, you just say, you know, do, it seems like you hate us. You, you, you missed that. You didn't do this because you chose Jesus first. But the truth is you just love him more. And that's the kind of discipleship that Jesus is calling us to. I pray that you'll hear it in the heart that I've preached this morning. I pray that even if you're uncomfortable right now, you will let the love of God stir you up. God called you. He loved you. He gave his life for you. It's worth it. You'll see it's worth it. It's worth every decision. It's worth everything you've had to give up. It's worth it. He's worth it. And I want you to know that the disciples, when they decided to follow Jesus, they never regretted that decision. For the rest of their life, they were defined by him. And I want to tell you, the world was changed by that level of, of love, by that discipleship. The world was changed. And the world will be changed when we decide to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, still I will follow. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning 